0: WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: Remember, this man is a military commander. He's used to being in charge of others, but he knows that this Galilean rabbi is the supreme commander and he just feels totally unworthy of him. That's, That's the whole thing here. It's not a whole lot deeper than that. But in the simplicity, there is a profound truth. You see, what this tells us about this man's faith was that he believed that Jesus Christ was the exalted one. Far from being man-centered and self-exalting, his attitude was self-effacing and humble. And what a refreshing thing that was.
2: As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus marveled at this man. I heard John MacArthur say that if you've made Jesus marvel you're really doing something of course we can't do that in our own strength we need god's help to have the attitude that this roman soldier demonstrated it's great to have you with us today for another verse-by-verse radio bible class pastor steve Kreloff is our teacher in these daily lessons from god's word pastor steve is the teaching pastor at lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida He has been serving there since 1981, and these broadcasts are adapted from his pulpit ministry. Military personnel are noted for their respect for authority and the chain of command. As Christ followers, we can learn a thing or two from them. All too often we think life is centered around us. Today on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will share some thoughts about the proper attitude held by the Roman centurion. We will find that in Matthew chapter eight. Here now is Pastor Steve with today's lesson.
1: Now, those of you who have been to Israel, I'm sure you have been. At least, if you've been uh, on a tour that I've done, uh, you have been to Capernaum and you went into the synagogue. Uh, that would have been the same synagogue spot that where this man built that I. I Think that the synagogue, the remains that are up today, probably are from a later date, third or fourth century, but the very spot was there. That's where they're saying he paid for this synagogue to be constructed. So, this is a unique man. I want you to know this is a special man. This is not a typical Roman soldier, because the typical Roman soldier of that day despised the Jewish people but we're told that this man actually loved Israel, which would appear to indicate that he was a God-fearing Gentile, which means that while he was not an official convert to Judaism, he did have a reverence for Israel's God. But this centurion wasn't only different from most Roman soldiers in his attitude towards the Jewish people and their God. There was also something very special and unique about him in his attitude towards his slave. Most Roman slave owners were very heartless. I should say many, many Roman slave owners were very heartless in their treatment of their slaves. They, they basically looked upon their slaves as animals and not little cuddly pets at home, but, but brute beasts. In fact, one ancient Roman writer said that the only difference between a slave and a beast was that the slave talked. That was all. That was all he could say. And that was the prevailing thought of that day. But this centurion didn't look at his slave that way. He had affection for his slave. And you see this not only in the fact that he came to Jesus requesting that he, his slave would be healed, but you see this in the language that he used to speak of his, of his slave. When Matthew says, for example, in verse 6, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. The actual word that he used for servant, it's not your normal word. It means, it means son or, or boy indicating that his slave was a young man, a boy, who was very dear to him. This would not have been a biological son, but but someone that he treated as a son. In fact, Luke tells us that the slave was highly regarded by him. So he did not look at him as a brute beast. He looked at him almost as a son and was very concerned about him. But I want you to notice something that's very important about this incident Though this man's slave was was dear to him and though he desperately wanted Jesus to heal him because as Luke tells us, he was sick and about to die. Yet, notice this, when Jesus did consent to go to his home and heal the slave, the centurion told him that it wasn't necessary. Look at verse eight. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now, why did this man resist Christ coming to his home? Well, I can tell you that many Bible teachers tell us at this point that, that the reason this man told Jesus not to come to his home was because they said it was out of sensitivity to the Jewish custom of the day. You see, if a if a Jewish individual came into a Gentile's house, that Jewish individual was considered ritually and ceremonially defiled and unclean. And that was true. That was true. That's what they thought. And so the thinking by some is that out of sensitivity to Jesus being Jewish, this man said, I know enough of your customs to know that it's not best for you to come to my home, so so don't. Well, that is a common interpretation of what's going on here, but I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that it enters into this, this picture. The man certainly knew that, and it's true that Jewish men who entered the homes of Gentiles were considered ritually unclean, but that's not the reason why this centurion told Jesus to stay away from his house. Matthew tells us, the reason we don't even have to guess. Verse eight, he said, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. It had nothing to do with Jewish custom. It had nothing to do with sensitivity uh, to being ritually unclean and and not unclean. It had nothing to do with that. The reason this man told Christ not to come to his house was because he felt totally unworthy and unfit for the Lord to enter his home. It had to do now with Now, with Jesus becoming unclean in the eyes of the Jewish people, it had everything to do with this man's own shame, sense of shame and sinfulness, because he recognized that in Jesus, he was in the presence of divine holiness. He may not have had all of uh, the understanding that, that we do about the person and work of Christ, but he understood his own sinfulness and he understood the holiness of Jesus Christ. Remember, this man is a military commander. He's used to being in charge of others, but he knows that this Galilean rabbi is the supreme commander, and he just feels totally unworthy of him. That's that's the whole thing here. It's not a whole lot deeper than that. But in in the simplicity, there is a profound truth. You see, what this this tells us about this man's faith was that he believed that Jesus Christ was the exalted one, far from being man-centered, and self-exalting, his attitude was self-effacing and humble. And what a refreshing thing that is. You know, we've said this many times, but let me, let me once again say this. We live in a day and age in which evangelical churches are turning so inward that everything is about them. It's all about sermons to to help you rather than exalting the Lord. It's all about uh, forming dynamic relationships and getting your marriage together and and speaking to people better. It's it's all about us. It's all about us rather than let's exalt the Lord. When you exalt the Lord, these other things take care of themselves. It's a very self-consuming, man-centered evangelical church age that we are we are living in. But this man was so different. It wasn't about him. He didn't he didn't say, well if he comes to my home, what an honor to have the Lord there. He said, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. That's a great truth because this is always where true saving faith begins. Because no one can enter into a saving relationship with Christ without first acknowledging how sinful and unfit they are for this relationship. Anybody who thinks they're worthy of the Lord is never going to be in a relationship with him. That's the very truth that Jesus taught at the, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who know they're spiritually bankrupt not people who are financially poor. It's those who know how sinful they are. It's those who understand how holy God is and that in light of his holiness, they have nothing to commend them before the Lord. There's nothing worthy of them. They are totally depraved. They are totally sinful. They are totally corrupt. They understand that. And those who enter Christ's kingdom enter it by bowing low and being very humbled. See that the delegation of elders who came to Jesus on behalf of this man and said the centurion was worthy of you coming and, and healing his servant. they're absolutely wrong. they didn't know what they were talking about now the the centurion didn't say say that, but they said it he said they, they said he's worthy for you to grant him this, and that's wrong. nobody's worthy of Christ. nobody's worthy of salvation. nobody is worthy of Jesus doing anything for them. Listen, anything we have. From the Lord, we get as, as gifts of his grace and mercy. Now, if you understand that, that'll keep you from being angry at God because he didn't do what you wanted him to do in your life. You realize that the only thing that you and I deserve is the judgment of God's wrath. That's all we deserve. And so you don't feel like the Lord is, uh, owes you something. You don't feel like the Lord is your debtor. You understand that whatever you have is a gracious gift from God's mercy. I love the way Kent Hughes described this man's attitude of unworthiness. He wrote, this man was obviously, had obviously seen himself as he really was. He had a wholesome consciousness of his own sin. Once we see ourselves as we are and take into account not only our actions, but our corrupt tendencies, foul thoughts, pampered sensualities, baseness and meanness, much of which has never come to the surface, we will avoid ever saying or even imagining I'm worthy. Truth is, as I said, you'll never have a relationship with Christ as long as you think you're worthy of him. You're not worthy of him. I'm not worthy of him. You may wonder, well, then how how do we come to a point in our lives where we begin to see ourselves as unworthy of him? Or even as a Christian, how do I cultivate a greater sense of being so unworthy of Christ? Well, it doesn't come by beating yourself up emotionally and having a type of morbid introspection. That, that will lead to depression. That's not what the Bible speaks of, uh, introspection of your, your sins and getting withdrawn and looking within. Uh, that's pop psychology. That's not what the Bible teaches. It comes, if you want to know how unworthy you are and have true humility, it comes by comparing yourself to Jesus Christ as the exalted one. If we compare ourselves to one another, we might look pretty good. On the other hand, we might not. But when we compare ourselves to Christ, we see that it's in light of his perfect righteousness, his majestic authority, his infinite power, his, his unconditional and yet condescending love to us in the cross, his eternal wisdom. We see our sin. We, we say with, with Isaiah, woe is me, for I'm undone. We see what we're really like. We see our depravity in light of Christ's perfection. And when we see ourselves the way we really are, then we understand how totally unfit, unworthy we are of him. That's what genuine humility is all about. That's really what it's about. It comes from seeing Christ and not ourselves as the exalted one. That's why it's, it's so dangerous and so wrong for so many churches to emphasize the creature rather than the exalted creator. And everyone who has ever trusted Christ for salvation has been humbled in this way. Humbled, as Jesus said, like a little child is humbled. You come into the kingdom like a humble child and, and, and you see yourself as totally unworthy of the Lord. And that was precisely the perspective that John the, the Baptist had when speaking of Christ in John 127, he said he was not worthy to untie his sandals. Think about that. That's a pretty lowly menial task to untie someone's sandals. But, but, but John said, I'm not, even un, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And remember, this was said, Jesus said, by the greatest man up to that point. Jesus said there's never been anybody greater than, than John the Baptist. So if John the Baptist feels unworthy to untie his sandals, how, how must you and I be towards the Lord? We're not even worthy to, to, to walk near him, let alone see his sandals. And why did John feel this way about himself? Was it because John hadn't read the right books on self-esteem Why why did John feel this way? No, it's because he understood who Christ was. He said, I understand that Jesus is above all and I understand who I am. In fact, if you look at John chapter three, not written by John the Baptist, but written by the apostle John, but it's recorded in John chapter three when some people tried to pit John against Jesus in terms of popularity and who had more disciples following them, John wouldn't, wouldn't buy it. And he very humbly says in verse 30 of John three, a great verse for all of us, to embrace, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then he explained why. He who comes from above is above all. Speaking of Christ, he comes from above, he's God. He's above all. And he who is of the earth, meaning himself and all of us, is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from above is above all. John realized that Jesus is above all, the exalted one. And so likewise, the centurion Saw Jesus the same way. And he turns Jesus away from entering his his home because he considers himself totally unworthy to be in Christ's presence. But then he says something that demonstrates the real depth and insight of his faith. And in many ways, the next few verses really make up the heart of this passage because it, it leads us to a second essential truth that this man understood and believed about Christ. The first essential truth that he believed and understood was that Christ was the exalted one. But the second truth, which goes along with this, is that he saw that Jesus Christ had unlimited authority and power, absolutely unlimited. Notice verses 8 through 10. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word. And my servant will be healed for. I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes and to another come and he comes and to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and he said to those who were following. Truly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now, having told Jesus that he was undeserving of him to, to come to his home. This centurion goes on to tell the Lord. It isn't necessary for you to come to my home to heal my servant. Just speak the word and I believe he'll be healed. Just say the word. And he explains, and watch this, this is critical. He explains that the reason he knows this is true is because as a soldier, he understands how authority operates. As a military man, he knows what it's like to be under the authority of someone of a higher rank than him. And he also knows what it's like to be an authority over soldiers himself and even have slaves under him. He says, I just give an order and it's carried out. I, I know how authority works. Now, Jesus was so impressed with this man's insight and understanding of him based on, on what he spoke concerning authority that he acknowledged that this Gentile man who had, who had no theological training, was not raised in a Jewish home where the scriptures would have been taught, This man had greater faith than any Jewish person, Jesus said, that he'd come across in Israel. So what exactly was it about this man's faith that impressed Jesus? That's the critical thing, because whatever this man had, that's what we want. Watch this. It wasn't merely that the man believed that Jesus could heal his his servant from a distance without entering his home. That that wasn't it, really. It was that he believed that Jesus had absolute faith unlimited authority to command whatever he wanted done, and it would be done. There's no question about it. In other words, he believed that Jesus Christ was God Almighty, the king, who could do whatever he wanted to do, and if he wanted to heal a servant, all he needed to do was give the commanding word of healing. Now, I I am convinced that the primary reason that Matthew recorded this miracle in his gospel account was because this man's faith affirmed exactly what Matthew wanted all of his readers to know from the beginning to the end of his gospel. That Jesus Christ was not only the Messiah, but that Jesus Christ was the authoritative king, the one with unlimited clout the one with unlimited power over diseases, demons, and and nature. In other words, this, this man realized that Jesus was God and that everything, therefore, was under his sovereign control and authority. And that's why Jesus praised him. This man got it. He really got it because even though he had many Jewish followers, not one of them up to this point grasped the fact that Jesus could do whatever he chose to do. In fact, let me show you what I mean. In Matthew chapter 8, just a few verses later, starting at verse 23, we're, we're told this story. When he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Notice this, you men of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, though his disciples, Jewish disciples here, certainly had faith in him as the Messiah, their faith was small. Their faith was little. All they knew was that he was the Messiah, but they really didn't believe that that he had full authority over everything, because they said, what kind of a man is this? That he wakes up and commands the sea, commands the winds to stop, and and it's calm? Who are we with? See, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. See, folks, the kind of faith that Christ wants us to have in him is a faith that trusts him as supreme and sovereign, the one who is over and in control of all the events of life the one who before him there are no accidents there may be things that look like accidents but there if god is sovereign there are no accidents totally sovereign it is the kind of faith that expresses itself the way the prophet jeremiah expressed himself in jeremiah 32:17 when he said ah lord god behold you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm nothing is too difficult for you nothing Now, of course, all of us who know Christ would acknowledge that. We would say, yes, we would verbally acknowledge that Jesus is the sovereign Lord with unlimited authority and power. But I've got to tell you, we don't all believe that. We may say that, but we don't all believe that. And the reason I say that, that many of us don't really believe that he he is the sovereign Lord is because there are many who believe, many Christians who believe that that man's will can frustrate and overcome the sovereign purposes of God. There are many Christians who believe that. They believe and they act and they live their lives as if man's free will can overcome and frustrate and thwart the sovereign purposes of God. And so somehow God's purposes are at the mercy of man's free will. Meaning, that if a man decides to rebel against God's plan, then God's plan is in jeopardy of being carried out. Now, that is the theology of many Christians. But Scripture emphatically and dogmatically denies that. Scripture dogmatically teaches that God is absolutely sovereign and that he has full and complete authority over everything and anything, including man's rebellion. Now, man is certainly responsible. God hasn't made us as robots, but God is so sovereign that he overcomes man's rebellion. That's what it means in Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things are not good, but God is so sovereign that all things are used by him to work together for good.
2: God is speaking in Isaiah 48 verse 10 and he says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. When we learn to trust in that fact, we can finally gain the right perspective in our relationship with God. He is indeed supreme. He deserves our total trust and obedience. Thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us through these early verses of Matthew chapter 8. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio Bible classes are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Here now is Pastor Steve to tell you how you can participate in this ministry if God leads you to do so.
1: I'm Pastor Steve Creelop with a special message about why people like you choose to support verse-by-verse verse with their prayers and financial gifts. There was a man who uh, was in touch with us and said he uh, had come to faith in Christ as a result of the verse-by-verse verse series that we did on Romans and what it means to be justified by faith. We're trying to have lives changed by the teaching of the Word of God. We think there's no substitute for that. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758.
2: For more information or to listen again to today's class, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have previous classes on the archives page and links to help you get our free newsletter or podcasts. That's versebyverseradio.org. The event we are studying really rattled the cages of the Jewish leaders. They taught that all Jews and only Jews would be in God's kingdom. But Jesus constantly warned that anyone who is placing their trust for eternal life in their ancestry or religious affiliation is in for an eternally unpleasant surprise. We will consider that on the next Verse by Verse.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by 262 262- CP.